Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome to episode 90 of Avengers Super Train, the short-lived uh, TV show podcast. We cover short-lived TV shows that never got enough love, episode by episode, three shows at a time. Eventually we will cover Super Train in this one. Well, you heard that theme. We got a brand new old show uh, premiering, uh, discussions of a brand new old show. By the way, not, not that the show isn't premiering. Uh, the, our discussions begin at the last segment of this episode. And if you know that theme, you know what's going to happen there. Well, you know what we're going to talk about. Uh, but if you don't know the theme, maybe you don't. So, um, uh, so this episode is going to begin with um, Nero Wolf, the great Tim Turner and myself discussing episode 5 of Nero Wolf from 1981. Then I will be discussing episode 9 of Shadow Chasers from 1986, and then we will be in, and I'll be talking about, enjoy. House Nero Wolf, Episode 5, Might As Well Be Dead, February 13th, 1981, directed by George McGowan, written by Celia Lester. If you were watching Dukes of Hazard on this day, there was some sort of episode where um, Bo and Luke have to take like Stonewall Jackson's sword to something that Boss Hogg is doing, but Boss Hogg is going to try to sell the sword to a fence or something like that. This, however is might as well be dead and it begins with a gentleman being called by a woman who's in distress regarding her husband i believe and the guy goes rushing over there um to protect her from her husband finds the husband dead and he's arrested he goes on trial as he's on trial a cr- very crotchety old man shows up uh, at wolf's place asking a wolf to find his son so archie goes looking for the son who may or may not be in prison involved with something or other and meanwhile this trial is going on with this guy who says you know he didn't kill the husband and eventually we meet up with a bunch of people and they show up in wolf's place and he talks to them and the crotchety old guy shows up a few more times and the guy in the prison there turns out to be a son and the people show up again at wolf's place and then it all ends um we'll go into more detail on it here um yeah you'll hear it listen to this might as well be dead yeah, this is episode, I forget, five, right? Yes, five of Nero Wolf. Rex Stout's Nero Wolf. You got a little plot breakdown right there. This one's based on one of the novels, one of the Rex Stout novels. And um, I have with me here a gentleman I like to call Tim. Tim, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, good thing that you call me that since it is my name. <laughs> he wouldn't. He wouldn't have answered, trust me. He wouldn't have answered. He would have just sat there, and I would have had to throw. He's like he's like Rumpelstiltskin if if you don't if you don't say his name right. Oh boy. So before I do anything, I'm gonna have a little sip of water because my throat's dry. Ah, 
Will I edit that out? Probably not. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, it's all part of the. It's all part of the package. It's all part of the deal. But anyway, Tim, I hope you're doing well. I forgot to ask if you were doing well. I'm sure you're doing fine. How? What? What did you think of Might as Well Be Dead? Uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, this I think might be the first dud <laughs> that we've we've watched uh, for me at least. Interesting. Um, okay. I found this one really plodding and dull and i i continually lost track of what the story was and what was happening i mean i, I remember okay the uh, guy gets a call from his uh, the woman he's having an affair with and oh my husband's beating me again and so he races over there to help mm-hmm. her and he comes in the husband's dead and of course the cops show up and arrest him for murder mm-hmm. so he's been set up and then after that, it, it kind of just wanders around, and you get uh, the dad, uh, the guy's father that he's estranged from shows up, played by Stephen Elliott, uh, who, uh, again, let me, for the third episode in a row, drag my Columbo reference in. He, he, <laughs> please, got, mur- got, <laughs> he got murdered in a deadly state of mind by uh, George Hamilton. Oh, sure, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He got hit with the, <laughs> the oh. poker from the fireplace. Um. So then you even have a little bit with Nero talking to Archie, and he's you know. So um, what do you how how do you feel about coincidences? Mm. And yeah, it just feels like they 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 took the okay. You've got the, the the father with the estranged son, and when he just happens to be the guy that's arrested for murder, mm. uh, that you know being framed, and. By the end of it, when they finally reveal your killer, I I just didn't care. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be so harsh on it, but I it just really and I especially since I know this is based on a novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, I just did not enjoy it. <laughs> he, mm, he, yeah, uh, it's it's. I have read the novel. I want to say it works better as a novel where you get some space with everything mm-hmm. because here it's like you get the opening and uh, with the ki- killing and then the trial scene and then the dad shows up and then you get this room full of people and it's like, oh, well, F- Fanny, there's someone named Fanny there. You know, oh, Fanny did this and Steve was doing that. And, oh, Jennifer got a headache and Bob. And it's like, who are you people? Exactly. And the only one I recognized was whenever I saw Q. I was like, oh, it's Q. Oh, my gosh. So he's in charge of all of this, and he's created this. He's brought Wolf and Archie to another dimension where he's put them in the most overcomplicated and ridiculous. And it's it's weird because I'm fairly certain, like I said, that the novel works. This, I got to agree with you here, it doesn't. I, 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 is it, is it, is it the script? The scripting is it? The, I mean, our regulars are still doing their thing, but it's a mix of like the scripting, the adaptation of the novel, mixed with I I I want to say it's like the direction that's not helping it because it's like the, the the two scenes with all those people in the room talking to Nero were so boring I couldn't focus. <laughs> Even at the end when they're yeah. revealing who the killer is, I was just like and and this. 
it was so weird because earlier, well, not not that. I mean, it isn't weird. Like you know, we went to outer space and found strange aliens on Mars or something. But it's, a, it's semi weird um, that it was like this morning. I rewatched this episode while I was working. I hope no one I work with is listening to this and going. So that's what you do <laughs> when you're staying at home, Dan. You tell us you're working and you're watching Nero Wolf. No, I have it playing on the TV next to me, and I had it playing and I took some notes and the episode ended, and I suddenly realized. Do I know what just happened in that episode? Yeah. And so I put it on again. The episode, every once in a while this happens, it doesn't sink into my mind. There, like, I found the dad looking for his son to be, you know, it's fine. Acting-wise, you know, I like everybody, but I found that dad plotline to be dull. And I found those boring people to be boring. And um, the, the tricky thing is, like, Wolf is a great character, but he doesn't move, and he just sinks deeper into his chair. <laughs> and so you have to have something going on in this. I mean, like, how about two episodes ago when all the gangsters are in the room? You know, yeah. they're, they got guns pulled, and they're moving around, and the one guy's wiping off his glasses, and that sort of obsequious lawyer guy is is got his... The, the, the lawyer's law student has his arms draped across the couch, and they're all moving. But here it's just like... Two couples, three couples, eight couples. I don't even know how many people were in that friggin' room. They're just sitting there, <laughs> and they're just and there's no there's no style to it. There's no. It's like now the camera's on Wolf. Now the camera's on them. Now it's a two shot. Now it's a close up. Now the camera's on Wolf, and it's just like. Uh, I, I think I said the first time we talked that these that Rex Stout wasn't a TV or movie guy, so he's not writing this to be adapted for right. another medium so you have to like like I, I said also like murder on the orient express if you're going to adapt that exactly like the novel you gotta work at it because it ain't a cinematic novel once the orient express stops dead in the snow there's nothing happening it's a bunch of people in tiny cramped rooms and mm-hmm. he, here it's like you've got these four and, and the weird thing is like the moment all these people showed up i remember thinking who are these people and then when they show up the second time i thought who are these? Oh, there's Q. Okay, these are the people we saw earlier. And I thought, and then I thought, gosh, I wish I was watching Next Gen. That would be a lot of fun to throw in an episode of that right now. And I might do that after we're done talking. Um, uh, but um, yeah, it's it's a weird episode because it it is based on a novel, and it should be better. And there's something about it. I think it's a mix of the script and the direction. The direction is not like dynamic or sharp it's at least i didn't think it was um and and when you have all this happening i mean scene after scene you get all this stuff happening and none of it registers something's gone wrong and yeah and it, it can be tough to say what i mean i've encountered lots of movies i mean you know you know tim i mean you've watched lots of say 80s movies and you know all sorts of movies from all sorts of different realms where you know, some movies will click, regardless of how ridiculous they are, and others where you're like, okay, this should work. You sit there going, nope, nope, nope. I, I'm not, like, and I know I should take better notes, uh, and I tried. I got a page of wonderful notes here, and at the end, <laughs> a big question mark. There you have it. Okay. I mean, I could tell you, <laughs> I could tell you who, who did the killing, and mm-hmm. you would immediately forget it, and it would be a surprise to you. 
I think that's how the episode works. Maybe that's what they meant for it to do. But what else do you have about this? Or what else? What are some more thoughts on it? Well, I, I think, uh, having not read the novel, I, I have to say I could see maybe in, in a novel you could expand this story. And because these characters, like you're saying, the couples that were coming in, they're, they're literally shoehorned into two scenes. They don't really have any scenes. Uh, well, I think one of them does, but I think for the most part, they don't have any scenes outside of that room. Majority of them and, don't. Yeah, and, and, and they're, they're so bland. Um, I, I will say Gail Young's, I, th- I thought, was just really gorgeous, just stunning. But mm. um, it, it just kind of lays there uh as far as my notes go most of my notes are about again interaction between the main cast yes. not so much uh your guests i mean like the the guy uh who plays peter hayes uh i thought he looked like uh, Rene abergenois um, <laughs> sure. speaking of star trek <laughs> uh, uh the attorney i remember he was in a bunch of the dirty harry films mm-hmm. as captain donnelly but um and of course q Mm-hmm. You got him in there. But for me, this episode, the, the only thing that salvages the episode for me are the little character bits with mm-hmm. your main cast. Yeah, and that's I think that's always tricky in a show like this, because I'll mention, like, say, Ellery Queen again. Um, yeah. Ellery Queen, the, the mysteries were pretty much fantastic. And it, well, mm-hmm. I would say, I would say the, the great thing about Ellery Queen, and my wife and I covered that in great detail, way down, back down the line, folks. I forget where was that, that was we talked about that. But um, I think the thing with those is, is pretty much every, every episode I would ra- rank as very good to, like, superb. Uh, mm-hmm. For that genre, I don't. There isn't. I don't think there isn't a dud for me in there. Um, there are one or two episodes that I um, are are. I'm, I'm trying to think of one. I can't really think of one right now. If, if I had to think of one, no, I, I hesitate to say. But 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 like, so the mysteries are are pretty much pretty pretty much pretty darn good. Is that a sentence? I don't know. But you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> I, I think a lot of that is Levinson and Link. Yes, yes, and and the joy of it too, on top of the mystery, is that every episode has some of the, um, you know, Ellery and his dad getting up to some shtick, you know, whether it's you know um, fixing a sink or or um, you know doing this that or going fishing things like that. It, there's there's always great interplay between them, which. Um, you can enjoy, and then the mystery comes in, and then maybe you'll get a call back to that uh, whatever's going on later on. But this is sort of because in those episodes you want to see the mystery, and the interaction is extra character stuff that enlivens it. In this, really, all you have that enlivens it is the character stuff between the main folks. The rest of the episode is, um, geez, I guess mediocre is is the word I, I guess I would use, which is. Which is too bad because it's based on a novel that I want to say is a good one. But again, <laughs> I think I mentioned this way back when the the ones that they're covering in here. I can't. I have a box full of Nero Wolf books right behind me, and I, all the ones they've covered on the show so far I, are not in the box. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> of course. So, but yeah. So, so that's um. Uh, well, let's let's scan some notes. Um, I'm a, I'm gonna note scan. Here I go. I don't have a father. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. 
Oh, no, that was all I had. One of my notes was, I don't have a father. I do have a father. That's not me saying that. That's my note. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have to say another hilarious scene with Wolf and Fritz uh, fighting over whether to put uh, garlic or saffron in the marinade. Oh, yes. Um, you know, and again, the thing that makes that work so well is uh, is Conrad and his delivery and that voice. Uh, he gives him this great ultimatum, and it, it's like his voice gets deeper, and he's like, yes. uh, he's like, uh, very well, Fritz, I will concede the garlic, but not <laughs> the saffron. Yes. yes. <laughs> And then he stops away like a, like a, an angry child. Yes. <laughs> it's it's great. It's great. Like you like you know you said you said previously you know I just love I'd love to see an episode that's just them doing this. No yeah. worries about you know you know maybe they just finished. Wouldn't a great like aftermath like um you know like you you mentioned like a Christmas episode. What, what if they finish? What if they finish a case like right before dinner Christmas Eve? And then you just get an episode that's them just hanging out. You know, finances yeah. are good. There's no murders going on. We're just hanging out. We have fun. You know, they can put on the radio. They can put on TV, whatever time period is. They can watch Dukes of Hazard, I guess, if it's 1981. Oh, God. And, and you know, they, they can do whatever. But, yeah, I, 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 do, I do like them quite a bit. So, like, like, like and as I mentioned in the previous one there, they, I watch three episodes in a row, which I don't normally do unless I have to. Um, in short-lived shows because they're only 14 episodes. So watching three in a row is like, space it out, Dan. This ain't my three sons. Space it out. You can you can give some space <laughs> to the episodes here. It's not Gunsmoke. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, I, I, there, there is one weird th thing that I just noticed because I've got the episode playing here and my, my Blu-ray player is really loud. So if you can hear something going... That's the VEI disc playing really loud for some reason. But, th but there's a weird moment where uh, a secretary, uh, the secretary of the guy who is killed, is killed, and the killer mm -hmm. doesn't find what the killer wants, but Archie yes. finds it. Mm -hmm. And the weird thing about it is Archie, I don't think this is a spoiler, like, it's like, like um, a locket around mm -hmm. her. I was going to say an amulet, but that ain't right. Uh, a locket <laughs> around her, 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 her neck, uh, you know, eh, and it's got something hidden in it. The, the weird thing is it's sort of like near the end, they sort of say to the killer, uh, you missed this, you know, this, you, you were looking for this and you didn't find it when you killed her. I just watched the scene with the secretary mm -hmm. talking to Archie and she's, she's, you know, she's, um, she's got kind of a low cut top on showing a bit of, you know, the cleavage and, sure. and that, that locket is like kind of right in between, pardon me, her boobs. And it's huge. <laughs> I mean, it's a huge, like, how did he not think to like, like if uh, I, I get just may have given something away there. No, I'm referring to he sort of, you know, the he, the killer is a he. Not not the killer is a he, but you know we're for, you know, shut up. Um, so, but but so so it's this weird thing where it's like, you know. Uh, Archie, when he finds the body, within like five seconds, he finds what he needs. Whereas the killer, who kind of ransacks the place and kills someone for it, doesn't think to look in the gigantic amulet in between her, <laughs> pardon me, cleavage. Which, 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 which made sense to me. Like maybe he just didn't think 
to to look, which makes sense until I saw how large the um the amu the amulet the, the locket was. You know, it's like how did you? I mean, I would have just give a look, just pick it up, and you know, they're always doing crap like that in mystery things. Why not? You know, so so that that was a weird moment where they kind of um maybe like the script uh, was turned in and the props department just went a little wild, and the director was like, whatever. <laughs> Well, the thing that's funny, too, is when he opens the locket, there's a picture on the left and a picture on the right, and the key is under the, the, the picture on the right. Well, if you look at it, the picture isn't even really in it. It's just kind of laying in there. Yes. Yeah, it's a little... And so little, I was yeah. like, well, wait a minute. So I, when he opened if he had opened it any other way, that key would have fallen out. Yes. If that thing wasn't clamped shut. I mean, it, yeah. And, and again, this... Uh, this episode does have some rather uh, fetching ladies. Uh, yes. You know that that uh, secretary that gets killed is Lana Wood, and she's she's beautiful. And of course, yeah. Yeah, and like I said earlier, the uh, Gail Young's gorgeous, gorgeous woman, and Karen Montgomery too. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least there was that to look at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the plot. It really it, it is weird, folks. I mean, I I I can't as a as someone trying to sort of look at each episode of the show in depth as we're doing i can't really recommend this episode however if you if you want to watch all of the episodes you should watch it but there is another part of me that wants you to watch it to see if you can pay attention better than i did because pardon my french damn it i tried i really tried but there just (laughs) hits a point somewhere in there where it just it just lost me and Mm -hmm. i and it was just it lo- it lost me, and yet I knew, in order to say anything coherent to Tim right now, and who knows what the hell I've said, um, <laughs> I would need to pay attention. And I, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I actually have the scene right now where everyone arrives at the place, and it's just like a group of people we've never seen before, and I think they're all named Fanny, um, and they're showing up there. <laughs> and if anyone in Britain is listening, you know what I mean. Be good. Um, and uh, but they're, they're all these all these all these people are showing up. And it's like who are these people? And it's like uh, whatever. And they sit down and yeah yeah. I think I think what what Tim what you said at the beginning I think sums up the episode. Unfortunately, this is probably the first. I mean, like the second episode wasn't a great one, but this at least I was able to pay attention throughout that one. It wasn't terribly yeah. good, but this one just somewhere in there. And I'm like, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, and it's all those random people show up 24 minutes into the 49-minute episode. And then they show up again like 15 minutes later or something like that. It's not um, – um, and there's even a point when they all show up the second time. And I, I forget – I think it's it's like he sort of accuses Q – no, it's not Q. But he accuses him <laughs> of – and he's like, oh, so I'm a suspect now. And – and you know that's which is one of those strange things to say like when a major detective calls you in to discuss a murder you're probably yeah. all suspects i mean again like with the locket there are certain you know murder mystery tropes that uh, we all know even fictional people in series from 1981 but but he um when q says that there like oh i'm a suspect now at the the second scene begins with like wolf bringing up whatever he mentioned to him right there again. And Q, I think it's, he says something like, oh, we're on that again. 
And Wolf was like, yes, we are. And I was like, we're on what again? What are we on? Oh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Whew, I was drifting there. Okay, yeah. And um, I, I, I guess my, my last thing is, well, well, let me, Tim, Tim, what else do you have? And then I'll say my last thought on it. Uh, well, I will tell you that I watched this three times because I fell asleep the first time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I did it three times, too, and I think I had a very similar thing happen the first time. Yeah, um, the, at least the at least the episode does end with a pretty funny scene with uh, Theodore and Wolf arguing. You know, in, in, again in the nursery, uh, he's Theodore is convinced that if you if you speak oh, yes. nicely to the plants mm-hmm. and compliment them, that that will inspire growth. Well, of course, uh, you know Wolf is like uh, he's going to tell you you're going to grow. Damn it. Yes. Uh, and if you don't, there's always the compost heap. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's a nice, it's, it's a hilarious a, scene. It's nice very scene. well done. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, oh, I, I think uh, yeah. The only other thing I remember um, was at the very, very beginning. Uh, I don't know if you remember. There's a, a, a brief bit where uh, Archie is at an like an old 1930s newsstand. Oh yes. With uh, the the little uh, guy uh, hawking, you know, magazines and newspapers and stuff, and he's a guy I never knew his name, so I looked him up. His name's Ralph Manza, and this guy must have like four hundred credits. <laughs> One of those guys in IMDb, where he wow. is in everything. He's always the funny little guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he was even on Newhart for like five years. Wow. Um, you know, but everything from Knots Landing to Growing Pains to the '98 Godzilla, oh wow, uh, Night, <laughs> uh, Night Gallery, Banachek. You know, I mean, it's just everything. He's been in everything. Even if I recall, he was a regular on McHale's Navy. Um, so it was just, he was just kind of like a, a nice little character bit to see, and yeah. I almost thought like, oh, maybe he's going to become. Kind of like that, the the, the little uh, informant guy. Yes, Johnny. Whatever. And I, from and I looked up now. Or, or just, no. <laughs> just one episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, because he. I, I was. I was reminded of you know like a the, the newsboy character from Police Squad. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, he'll go there, and it's like you know, yeah, I got some information yeah, for you. I got yeah. some information. Yeah. You know. And, what do we do, you know, Johnny? Yeah. There's no. a fire at the chemical plant. What do we do? Well, I wouldn't know anything about it. Uh, mm. Maybe uh, you get a hold of Johnny two times. <laughs> Johnny two times. Johnny two times. Do you have anything else before I... I forgot what I was going to say early. Oh, no, I remember now. Do you have anything else? Uh, no, I, I, I think that I, I've insulted this enough. <laughs> <laughs> it happens sometimes, folks. It does happen. Uh, uh, we do our best. You know, we're, we're enjoying the show. Um, and it's gonna ha- this is gonna happen. Um, and just think, if you were watching the Dukes of Hazard, we'd probably be saying this. This one is a dud a lot more often. <laughs> Sorry, Dukes of Hazards fan. Um, oh, uh, but <laughs> but um, I two things. So um, one, the newsstand scene is great because you get very clear shots of all the magazines. Mm-hmm. And there's like an Us magazine or something like that with like Mickey Rooney wrapped in a scarf. Yes, and, and, and so, so you can like. If you want to know, like, the week that they shot this, I, I or, or within, like, a week to a month of when they shot this, 
look up those magazine covers, you could probably find them and figure out when it was, which is which is cool. I always love that. I, I totally forgot about that Mickey Rooney cover because it's a gigantic. Yes. It's almost like like one of those big Life, like magazines. Life magazine, yeah, or something. And it's I'm a not... huge close up of his face, like you said, with a scarf on. He's got that hi, you know, kind of face <laughs> yes. going. It's, I was like, oh wow, somebody was popular then, I guess, huh? Yeah, let me see. I'm gonna I'm gonna have this playing as I as I talk real quick and I'll see if I can I can just see what the um is happening. Oh there it is. Oh it is Life magazine. It's a Life magazine oh. next to a New Yorker and a cuisine and a family circle with a cat and a GQ with a guy and a gal in their underpants. Oh, that's a good time. <laughs> I wonder if that uh, was uh, shot around the same time he did uh, the TV movie Bill. Oh, possibly. That seems like that might yeah. be about right. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I bet you could really nail down exactly when this is, especially the GQ, the people in their underpants. I'm sure that's probably a good one <laughs> to use. So this, that, that, well, that might as well be dead. Uh, Tim, where, where are you? Where are you online? How you doing? Uh, well, uh, I am the co-host of uh, Beauty, the Beast, and the Bees, a podcast where we discuss bee movies, mostly, I would say, uh, 80s schlock, but not always specifically uh, targeting that. But uh, we, we, do, we do seem to dwell a lot in that uh, those waters. Um, and uh, we are uh, at iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, we do have... You know, uh, Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, and our website is bbnbs.net. And uh, we hope that uh, you will check us out because uh, I think uh, we're a lot of fun. I agree. And thank you again for joining me. We're five episodes in, folks. We got nine left or 14, right? Yes. Um, it was it was weird because the, the other day I was looking at the set and I was counting the episodes on, the, on there. And for some reason I was like, did one episode go away? Why is there some... I miscounted. I, I suddenly was like, wait a minute. We're, I thought there was a movie and 14. Why? So, so yeah, so we got nine left. We still got we still got a, a nice journey ahead of us here, folks. So um, thank you again, Tim. And let us, let us go on to this. Shadow Chasers Episode 9, Let's Make a Deal. Originally aired January 16th, 1986. Directed by Barbara Peters, her second uh, one, and written by Peggy Goldman. Uh, her second one, she had written Phantom of the Galleria, I believe. And this is... Well, let me give you a little plot breakdown. This one begins with a... Um, respected politician in Washington, D.C., Gwen Page, who's running for some sort of political seat and 
while she is uh, beginning to give a little speech um, with sort of the uh, her her main opponents um, out in front of somewhere or other in Washington D.C. Um, her her sort of main opponent, the, the guy already in office, suddenly dies of a heart attack just randomly. So suddenly she is at Dr. Morehouse's office and she is talking to Dr. Morehouse and Jonathan and Benny. And uh, Jonathan is quite taken with her. Oh, Jonathan! Representative Gwen Page, this is Dr. Jonathan McKenzie. Yes, we've met before. Uh, a few years ago. You, you probably don't remember. Was it a fundraising event? I'm, I'm a very great admirer of yours. <laughs> of course. I'm Edgar Benedict. Unfortunately, I won't be able to endorse your campaign because I'm registered to vote in New York, and also I'm a real big fan of Top of Morton. <laughs> the tree surgeon? Yeah, he's got a great slogan, drop pine cones, not bombs. Mr. Benedict's sense of humor always brightens our day. Gwen is one of Georgetown Institute's most treasured alumni. Yes, I know. She's come to us on a confidential matter with which I think you are most capable of dealing. Well, I hope so. Sit down. Excuse me. Please. This is going to sound very strange, I'm afraid. Don't worry about that. Strange is our middle name. All right. It begins about 20 years ago, when I was a senior here at Georgetown. I was living in one of the dorms. In fact, I was dorm president that year. It's the beginning of my political career. And one night, I was cramming for a final. And yes, this this um, she does think it's some sort of well. Uh, she she actually tells the story. We get a flashback uh, quite some time. I th- th- did she say t- twenty years ago, twenty five, thirty years? I forget how long it is uh, ago. But she's back in college, and uh, a roommate of hers stops by and begins talking to her. And she's a very chatty sort of roommate. And um, uh, uh, Miss Page just wants to kind of get the roommate out of there. Um, so she can continue her studying. And then the roommate starts to um, uh, get a little weird. Can I do something for you? Maybe get you something to eat or something? I got... Oh. Well, there must be something I can do for you. Please? Sure, you can make sure that I get an A in this exam tomorrow. Really? No problem. Consider it done. What? Huh? How about an A in life? Huh? Oh, how would you like to have everything you've wanted? You know, um, best law firm, successful politician, power, the whole ball of wax. That sounds fine, Susie. Great! It's yours. Oh, there's just one thing. If I arrange all that stuff for you, I have to collect something in return. Mm-hmm. Your firstborn child becomes mine on his or her 16th birthday. Sounds fine, Susie. That's great. Really? I mean, it's not because I want to or anything. You know, it's just the rules. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine. Great. Good night. Night. Oh, there's just one more thing. Would you sign this? Uh, you, you, you should really read it first. I can't... What is this? Uh, Middle English. It just agrees that your firstborn is mine come his or her 16th birthday for an exchange of a life of unqualified success. Sounds fair to me. Good night. Night. Oh, and get some sleep. 
So yeah, uh, Benny kind of calls the um, this this strange woman, uh, you know, sort of Rumpelstiltskin kind of thing. And yes, Gwen Page does have a boy who's about to turn sixteen. He's got some sort of big homecoming type thing planned or something like that. And things just start to get weirder. They they um, they they look at um, uh, footage of the broadcast, and when it gets to the point on the footage where the the scary gal should be suddenly everything goes out and the vcr like bursts into a huge puff of smoke um so yeah there is something very odd going on and it does really seem like well well let me tell you we meet benny's lawyer oliver holmes uh they're up in like well i was gonna say the hollywood hills but they're up in a hill somewhere and he's in a limo and he steps out and he starts to give jonathan and benny advice on what exactly this woman is so now what we got here is a 20 year old contract that is due in two days problem is that my client thought the whole thing was a gag at the beginning and now she doesn't want to pay up i got it i got it that's the copy of the deal memo little english invoking the laws of magic is set down by merlin Executed by both parties, quite specific as to services rendered at exactly what cost to your friend, the child. This is the work of a first-class wizardress. A what? Wizardress. Magician. One of the disciples of Merlin or some of the other great medieval wizards. They struck a pact, whether your client likes it or not. And Susie is a swine and swill, and you're well, our client. That's a real problem. Couldn't this lady just be emotionally disturbed? Ali? This is one court you don't ask for mercy. Marge! Yes, sir. Marge, the uh, maroon book next to uh, basic palimony. You've got one shot. 1412 Harold the Mongol saved his first wife from the touches of Wendora, another wizardress after she had delivered him the empire. Ah. You'll find everything you need in here. Oh, that's great. Here, Johnny, you read it. Damsel in distress... Chainmail, sword, allies of pure soul, protective potion. Follow all the directions to the letter. It has to be the right suit of mail, and the potion ingredients are precise. Slay a dragon? Where else are we going to find a dragon? Yes. If things were that easy, I'd be turning my practice into a car wash. I'll be sending you the bills, slick. Bye-bye. <laughs> So yeah, they, they basically get like a scroll, like for what, 15th century, something like that, from a guy who once slayed a wizardress, and it involves, or, or broke a wizardress's curse, involves drinking this potion, getting dressed up in chain mail, using a specific kind of sword, and slaying a dragon. So they have to kind of bring all these things together, and have, basically slay this dragon, whatever it might be, and I'll might talk about that or I might not talk about that I probably won't mention it I'm slaying the dragon um, done before midnight when uh, the sun there turns 16 and sort of the wizardess is getting a bit more crazy in what she's doing to try to separate the boy from from his mom and and Jonathan Benny are racing around capturing frogs and kind of appropriating giant swords and all kinds of craziness so that's let's make a deal now the main thing about let's make a deal is that it is if if you go into your your um your history of television the the last air date on ABC of Shadow Chasers was January 19th 1986. This is the last episode that aired on the network. We still have four left. 
the ones that aired on the Armed Forces Network. But this is the last one that aired on the network. The show was canned right after this. I actually didn't look to see what its replacement show was. You know what, next time. Next time, when I'm talking about the show being on Armed Forces, we'll talk about if the, if the show had been up and running on January 26th, uh, what was in its place. Uh, I, I, presumably, I think they were still trying to stop Cosby Show, Family Ties, and, and then Magnum P.I., so like Simon Simon, whatever. Um, so they would still be bringing in, like, the big, trying to bring in some sort of big guns as it were. I think after a time, they just threw on whatever they could in that time slot. But yeah, so this is the last one that aired on the network, which is kind of sad uh how is it for last one that aired on the network um that's not as good as phantom of the galleria peggy goldman's other episode this one doesn't build towards sort of the poignant emotional ending this kind of builds towards a kind of unwieldy ending that doesn't quite seem like it's going to work but it does and it's one of those it yeah, it's 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 one of those yeah sort of endings like you know the scroll has these ridiculous things that they have to do on it, but the theory is yeah yeah if if this woman is really a wizardess or believes she is a wizardess, if you perform these tasks, she will abandon um, what she's doing. She'll abandon the boys, you know, taking the taking the kid. What's she gonna do with the kid? I don't know. I mean, it's because it, it, she just looks kind of like a you know a woman just out doing stuff. So I, I don't know. Does she have a place where she stores a bunch of kids? Is she is she doing like multiple souls at once? You know, it's like this month I got this kid, next month I got that kid. I don't know. Um, but we do see. I mean, she she gets away in the end. Spoiler. And the closing scene is a repeat of the scene we see with with um, Gwen Page there and her. Um, you know, am I bothering you? I just, oh, come on in. And you're like, oh boy, it's happening again because she doesn't age. The wizard dress. It's an okay episode. I mean, Barbara Peters does a does a does a nice job directing. There's occasional weird slow mo things here and there, which sometimes look kind of cool, and other times look like there's a problem with the episode itself. Um, maybe that's meant to be what's going on. Maybe it's um, our wizardress affecting the video in some way. Um, the yeah yeah Jonathan Benny are finding it that the, the there are a couple of str- I mean like the frog catching scene is kind of fun um, because they're basically like in a really tiny pond in a boat and, and Jonathan can't row it and, and Benny's talking and talking on the front and Jonathan finally catches a frog and there's some funny stuff in there. You do think Jonathan's going to fall in the water. He doesn't. They don't really go. It's not like it's not like a big pond. If you watch it, it's kind of like they, they kind of, you know, like go over like 10 feet. And then they go over 10 more feet in this direction and kind of go back. And they, kind of, they, they don't really go anywhere. But there was a great moment when they're, Benny's talking and Jonathan's um, rowing along. And all of a sudden, they kind of like wind up in like a bunch of reeds and, and things like that. And Benny's like, what are you doing here? Where are we going? Where are we going? And he, he backs them up, which I really like. Uh, yeah, I, I like Jonathan's kind of infatuation with Gwen. He's like, oh, and Benny's like, oh, wow, you got the hots for her. And, you know, it's Catherine Lee Scott, who, you know, we all love from Dark Shadows, and she's in the first episode of Police Squad, and she's in tons of other things, too, but she's great. And she's great as the um, as the grown-up Gwen Page, um, playing her age, I, I would imagine, and then the younger Gwen Page, she, 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 she kind of fits that bill, too. It's not always nice to see Dr. Morehouse uh, get a couple extra scenes. Uh, she's constantly, like, well, she brings him on board, and she doesn't seem to mind having Benny there, although she's, like, 
she she makes a joke about Isadora Duncan and scarves and convertibles, uh, which you know you can love or not love uh, depending upon how you're feeling. And but it's nice to see Dr. Morehouse in a few more scenes, considering this will be the last time most folks would ever have seen her. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's a tricky episode because um, there's the nice the kind of nicest moments are a couple of the moments here and there where sort of the wizardess kind of appears and it's like oh my gosh that's her you know kind of thing and there are these nice moments here and sort of the things she does are cool um but like the scroll idea is okay um it's um th- th- there's like a comedy bit where benny is trying to get tears from the frog and is telling him a really sad story and then they end up um jonathan ends up like burning some newspaper and blowing it out so the smoke gets in the frog's eyes and the frog cry- i know what you're saying what and the frog cries and they get the tears three tears from the frog and they get this chain mail it's just like it's such a weird plan because it's one of those where like you see this giant it's a fire breathing dragon float and uh, ben, basically Benny has to kind of like cut its head off more or less um, which will kind of smite it and, but the wizardess has hooked it up so that the fire is working so Benny approaches it with this enormously heavy sword in the chain mail and all of a sudden this thing starts breathing fire on him it's crazy and it's really um, I mean there's some good moments in it with, with fire going off everywhere and stuff but it's also one of those moments where like so what's going to happen because he's having trouble lifting that sword but then right at the exact moment yo yeah there he goes cuts off the snout of the uh, dragon and it's over okay it's it's kind of um it's one of those tricky episodes where once they sort of say okay we need to do this we need to do this and as the bits fall into place it becomes less exciting i guess would be the way to describe it sort of it becomes less um thrilling like when they finally get to the dragon there are some nice moments where it's breathing fire and um the wizardess is trying to grab the kid and jonathan's in there and fires everywhere and stuff and that's kind of nice but it's also um they cut it really close like we've only got three minutes till midnight so you know they have to do it before the three minutes so you know it's going to be cut it it's cut really close and it's not as sort of suspenseful as an as or as exciting as it could be in fact, that's kind of the episode. the The episode has some really nice moments, and Jonathan and Benny are fine. Not their not their finest moments here. Benny, I think, has more to do. Jonathan didn't really have a lot to do, apart from he's kind of want, wants to be flirting with Gwen and 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 such. But um, Benny has some decent moments. Um, but it's a it's a strange episode. I mean, if you look at this as a final episode, and it definitely wasn't meant to be a final episode. It's kind of not a dud, but it's kind of just okay. You know, it's that the premise is a good one that they, for some reason, they never fully explore, because there's never there's never like a moment where, um, like the wizard just calls Gwen and has a brief chat with her over the phone, but there's never a moment where like Jonathan and Benny encounter her and meet up with her. I mean, like she is kind of lurking around and she drops some things on them and stuff, but there's never a moment where they like they all meet up and there's a big moment where maybe some crazy wizardy stuff happens or something like that it's also around the periphery and then when the fire breathing dragon starts breathing the fire you know she tries to grab the kid she can't do it the dragon gets a snoop cut off she takes off running it's yeah the ending's kind of anticlimactic and unfortunately the the episode has a sort of semi-anticlimactic feel to it i don't again as with the other episodes i don't dislike the episode i just think that if the show had been made, if shows uh, say maybe an X Files episode had been made ten years later, maybe it had been written by Darren Morgan or something, um, 
it would have been much sort of sharper and funnier and um i I don't need the pace specifically to be to be quicker that you know the pacing wasn't great but it was okay it's just um it does feel like it's moving towards a foregone conclusion they're going to save the day the kid isn't going to get stolen um if it were yeah if it were made x files or a little bit later there'd be some sort of twist in there right at the end something would happen to throw it off but in this it's like they assemble everything they find the dragon he cuts the snout off the dragon it's all over it feels inevitable and it doesn't it's not terribly exciting now it's it's like i said there are some fun moments in it and a couple of laughs and it's not it's not boring um and and even even weird too like even like gwen page who's ostensibly sort of the main character she kind of fades too and it just be kind of the second half is just kind of benny and jonathan kind of trying to assemble this stuff and steal this sword and all these other things get the chain mail and such and it's I don't know, I wish it was more adventurous. I wish the script were more adventurous. I wish the direction were more adventurous. As as it stands, it's an okay episode of mid-80s television. And some of the music is a little odd. Like, the in-between, the um, interstitial bits of music are a little too perky and strange. They're, they're much more... I don't know. It's... 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 Okay. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. Um... I do love Shadow Chasers. I do love the show. A lot of times it's Jonathan and Benny um, interaction. This one has some good interaction. The rowboat scene in particular is very good. Um, and a couple other moments. Well, like I said, Benny is kind of carrying a lot of this one, I think, in the interaction. Jonathan is kind of smitten. I wish the episode had been braver. I wish the episode had done more, had, had jumped in and done crazier stuff and, and just been more exciting. As it is... It, it's a thoroughly average episode of television from that time. If you like television from that time, you're going to enjoy it. If you don't, you might be a little bored. You might be a little disappointed. You might think, I've kind of seen this before and I've seen this better, or I've seen this before and this is pretty good. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the episode's okay. I think I'm, I think I'm kind of sad because this is the last one on the network. Now we got four more to go. My remembrance, uh, my remembrance of those four are that I should like them more than I like this one, um, but I can't say that for certain. Um, yeah, so that's yeah, that's like I guess that's it. Like, um, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's this episode, and uh, let's let's make a deal. And yeah, so that's Shadow Chasers. Well. That's the network run of Shadow Chasers. Next time, we will be talking about the first of the Armed Forces Network episodes, which we don't have a date for, and that would be Cora's Stranger. Oh, just a couple more things, folks, right at the end. Uh, I forgot to mention this weird scene where Benedict stops to tie his shoes as and the, the um this is this is the scene where um the the wizardress there whose name i still don't remember even though her name is in one of the clips uh, Susie um sends like a car out of control to almost kill them and benedict stops to tie his shoes and as jonathan's talking to him benedict is clearly standing at a couple um co-eds behinds which seems a little unlike benedict and i wonder if peggy goldman wrote that in there <laughs> who, who put that in there that seems strange the other weird thing that I forgot to mention because I kind of forgot about it until I was I was uh, doing some sound bites that uh, Benedict calls on some friends 
Um, obviously, there's his lawyer, who you heard from, but there is a, um, he calls on three bodyguards, and his three bodyguards are three African-American women who, for some reason, when they're, in order to convince Gwen Page and Jonathan that they're good bodyguards, they sing Respect in her living room, Gwen's living room, a full-on version of Respect, and it's good. But it's very strange, and it, it feels very mid-80s kind of thing that you would do in a movie or a TV show. And it feels like, I'll be honest, it feels like filler in an episode that isn't terribly action-packed, although it has a lot going on. It, you know, it is, isn't a bullet-paced episode to stop for almost three minutes, I think, and have three women who don't really do anything in the episode break into respect just seems odd to me because uh, the one time i think you see them bodyguarding the kid um they let Susie, the wizard just get away so it's like oh the one time you see them actually bodyguarding they don't actually really do anything so uh but i i just wanted to bring those to because i forgot about those i don't i don't, forgive me if that last review was a bit dour it was a it was a rough day i'm gonna i'm gonna um I'm going to let that, that, that review of that ride, because that's honestly what I thought of that when I was done watching it. Kind of looking at it again after sound bites, I still stand by it, what I said, um, but maybe a little lighter. Maybe there's a little more fun in there, but um, forgive me. Now we're really truly going on to a brand new old show with an old friend. Listen to this. Auto Man, everybody. Glenn A. Larson is back. And I know what you're thinking, Dan, we just had Glenn A. Larson on the show. Not for real. Uh, we, we had a Glenn A. Larson show j just recently. Yes, we did. But um, he, he has a lot of uh, uh, very, very popular shows in, in the history of television. But he has what we on Eventually Super Train, the short-lived TV show podcast, called the Trifecta. And that is 83-84. He had Manimal which we covered with Mr. Charlie Brown up in Medicine Hat so long ago, Masquerade, which Amanda and I just finished, and Auto Man. Yes. And I gave, you just heard the synopsis of Auto Man. It's all exciting. It's all wonderful. And I have here with me, you're going to know her voice. She joined us once before, well, I, once before 27 times for the Green Hornet. And I have here the great, the wonderful Kristen Hawes, a.k.a. Kiki Writes. Kristen, how are you? Yay! Yay! I'm so happy to be back, Dan. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm I'm excited. I um, cause you know what? Once we did Manimal, and then Amanda said I want to do Masquerade. I said I, I I made a wish upon a star. Will someone please say they want to talk about Auto Man with me? And that was you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hooray! So let me. That was let, me? What, what, we'll, what we'll do is we'll um, we'll begin as we always do when we have a new show. Um, uh, what did you have a history with Auto Man? What are your? When did you first see Auto Man? If you just saw it like like a week ago, that still counts because we're in crazy times now. So you can tell a great story <laughs> about it. But but what is your history with Auto Man? Well, my history with Auto Man is is kind of interesting because I didn't originally come by Auto Man like you would normally come by Auto Man. I found Auto Man through a, a company called Red Giant, which makes like special effects software for filmmakers, and they do mini movies to help advertise their um, their stuff. And one of the mini movies that they made 
uh, was called Hulogram, which was a take on Auto Man, and it uh, it starred David Hewitt, who it, he's um, probably best known for um, Stargate Atlantis, but he was also in like Cube and stuff like that. Anyway, I love him. Follow him on Twitter. He said that he did this. I watched it. I thought it was absolutely fabulous. I encourage everybody to watch it. Just go to YouTube, put in Hulogram, you'll find it. Um, but I wanted to know if I had, you know, ever watched the original Auto Man. Went and saw the original uh, opening credits for it, and realized I don't think I had because it came out in '83, and I would have been about three then. And um, so my memory back then's fuzzy. Um, but I um, figured I hadn't seen it. I ended up getting a hold of the the season because it was short lived and mm-hmm. binge watched it, which I I really don't recommend. You'll just get overwhelmed yes, by the eighties fabulousness. Yes. <laughs> yes, but I binge watched it. I loved it, and so when you were like, "Hmm, I need someone to talk to me about." some short-lived shows, I was like, psst, Auto Man. <laughs> nice. And thankfully you said yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's yeah, it, it was one that was sort of in the back of my mind because um, my, my history with it, I, I think, is that I want to say Manimal, which I watch religiously, went off the air around the time Auto Man came on. And I think knowing that a show that I was really quite enjoying went away so quickly stopped me from watching Auto Man. Because I, I, I vaguely remember it, but not in the way I remember Manimal or, say, Shadow Chasers. Like Masquerade, I didn't watch at all. That wouldn't have been my kind of show when I was 10, 9, 10. Um, uh, but, but Manimal was, and Auto Man uh, almost was, but I don't... I, I actually think I'm I'm watching it pretty fresh here like well not not quite fresh like a new no not a new i can't get the word right i'm for the first time that's what i'm that's what i meant to say um uh it's i don't know where i went with those words but um yeah i i think this is more or less the first time i've ever watched auto man apart from maybe like i said one or two episodes back in the dark and distant past but um but i'm excited to go through it i mean i always enjoy some glenn a larson and um, and like I said, this is the third part of the trifecta, and uh, and the uh, and the flashiest part in some respects. Well, I guess Masquerade is pretty flashy in some respects too. But um, but yeah, so so this is Auto Man. This is you. You got the you got the synopsis. So I'm I'm just gonna uh, just jump right in here and say, um, uh, Chris, give me give me your thoughts on on the on Auto Man, the pilot, the 90 minute pilot. You know, as a pilot, it's not my favorite. Mm. pilot there's aspects of it that's really really good that i really like but then there's there's parts of it that's kind of a mess but overall the overall effect is i do enjoy the pilot i'm excuse the neighbor's dogs they they didn't watch this they shouldn't get to make any comments anyway the (laughs) i I, am uh they just totally derailed my thoughts but um, no i mean i really do like like the plot yes (laughs) (laughs) oh anyway i really do i do enjoy the the pilot um i think it's a good time i do like that they worked so much humor into it um it's not a straight action show they're 
I mean, the premise is, you know, on, on, you know, people not understanding how computers work because you can't make holograms that can become solid and, uh, think for themselves and that sort of thing. And just, especially back in 1983 when his computer is in this, you know, this, it's this enormous beast in this room and it's like everything your computer is doing, my phone can do. So, (laughs) you know, you, it's, it's one of those shows where you just, you, you don't try to analyze it too much. Mm -hmm. You just, you let it go and, and go along for the ride. And in that respect, it is, it is quite enjoyable. I Mm. thought, what did you think? I, I, I quite enjoyed it too. I, um, I will break down certain elements like, uh, of it, like the, um, the absolutely whack ass plot, uh, the, the, the thing that's, uh, the, the actual thing that's going on that they're trying to stop, which I, what, when I actually learned what was going on, I'm still trying to figure out in my head what it was that's going on and I know, I know those dogs are excited about auto man maybe could could manimal be down there do you think just messing around with them it's possible mm. he could be egging them on he could he could be anywhere i i i i, <laughs> I like like most glenny larson um sort of uh, uh pilots or tv movies um it it I, th- I think it would work best watch with commercials. I feel like watching it all the way through, there are a couple of moments where it like builds and then everything drops. And then it kind of has picks itself up again. But, but you get the commercial break originally, so that would have worked. Um, like after the first time that Auto Man and... Um, and... Um, and uh, why am I blaming? Walter. Go out. Um... Uh, you know, and then they return to Walter's house there. There's they're sort of high excitement, high excitement, and then... Pfft, and I guess that's the way action films work, but they're 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 um the the sort of that that moment where you know the commercial break is going to be there gives you the the little break, and so I, I would actually love to see it with some um uh sort of vintage commercials, uh just to see if um uh not not that I was bored, but um th- this one more so than some of the like the manimal. The Manimal 90 Minutes uh, movie, I quite like. I think it really does a nice job. The Masquerade, I'm a bit iffy on because they do so much assembling and all they do in the Masquerade pilot is, like, make a Russian agent look like a goofball. And it's it's a little underwhelming for, for 90 Minutes. I, I always think the best... I mean, obviously, there's the Battlestar Galactica three-hour-long um, pilot, um, which... I think the first hour is brilliant, but then as it goes along and it becomes a regular episode of Battlestar Galactica, it becomes a little less compelling. The, the Buck, Buck Rogers is a lot of fun, but I think the best, if you want the best Glenn A. Larson TV movie slash pilot, you gotta go for, and I know you know exactly what I'm going to say. Do you know what I'm going to say? No. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. Well, I'm going to have a sip of my tea and let everyone think for a second. Pretend there's a clock ticking. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Oh, there this, is. I'm sure. <laughs> I got, I've got this yummy uh, mango tea. Uh, uh, it's oh, like when please. somebody asks when you when you go to the grocery store and they ask you when you're when you're trying to buy your wine and they ask you when your birthday is and you and it fritzes out on your brain. That's where I'm at right now. Like I should know this answer and I don't. Yeah, I, well, well, the moment I say it, you'll go, oh, sure, of course, Dan. Um, and that would be, uh, I, I think the best. Oh, and and he co-wrote this one which may 
account for why the structure is a little stronger. And Buck Rogers has a stronger... Well, Buck Rogers doesn't really have a structure, but Leslie Stevens is co-writing it. Um, but um, this would be The Foundlings, BJ and the Bear. The two-hour BJ and the Bear oh. TV movie. Because that one starts off... Okay. That one starts off calm, and you're introduced to the world, and then... I forget. It's not Stax. I forget what the name of the gal... Um, who who's in it? Who's kind of annoying? Who who travels with BJ and that? And um, and like the first half of it is set at night, and then the second half is set during the day, and like the last twenty minutes is one long chase, and it's really nicely put together. Um, Auto Man is probably in the middle tier of the Glenn A. Larson pilots that I've seen. I, I think I I like I love the fact that. The, the sort of origin of Auto Man is in like a um, hi, my name's Walt and I created Auto Man. Watch our first adventure kind of thing. So you don't have to you know, you know, it's it's like you know, you don't have to spend like like you know, like I love the man from Atlantis, which we'll probably talk about one day on this show. But the the the, the first T V movie with of course Victor Buono as Mr. Schubert the, the first half of that is all like, who is this strange man? Where is he from? And as an audience member, you're sitting there going, he's the man from Atlantis. Get on with it. So I love the fact that, <laughs> you know, Auto Man, like, Auto Man narrates his own origin at the beginning, which I love. It's sort of like um, when I, I forget it was Marvel, Marvel Comics, I think, when I was a kid. You, you would get a comic, and on the opening splash page, there'd be right at the top, there'd be like a little, um, uh, cap, not, not a caption, but um, like a little paragraph. And it would be like, Spider-Man was Peter Parker, a teenager, and he got bit by a radioactive spider and got leukemia. And I'm kidding. No, he, he, um, he got bit by a radioactive spider and became this super-powered... And, and they would put the origin right at the top. So even if you didn't know where like the Fantastic Four came from, you would read that right at the top, and you go, "Okay, I think I got it." You'd read. I love the fact that Auto Man does this, and it just throws us right in. Um, I love the scenes with Auto Man and Walter. And I just closed my notebook. I was doing something with my notebook for shtick that no one could see, and I closed my notebook, so I don't have my notes here. There. Um, I love the scenes with them together. I love the scene with the. Um, I, I forget the actor's name. Amanda is a huge fan of him. The guy who sort of comes over to their side, um, uh, like halfway through. Oh, that's Stephen Keats. Yes, yes, he's fantastic. Um, and it, it's tricky because the the uh, Glenn A. Larson wasn't the best at coming up with um, um, sort of malevolent plot lines. And the one in this one, which you heard in my description, is goofball. I, th I think this is a goofball story that goes with this. But I, I think the character of Auto Man is introduced well, and everything he does is introduced well, and his relationship with Walt is great, and they do save the day. And, um, and Walt sort of uh, goes from sort of a nebbishy kind of guy behind the computer to being the sort of guy who can just stand there in front of all these people with guns and be just like, yeah, you know what? I'm pretty tough. Check me out. Even though he, at that moment he has nothing to back him up because Auto Man can't show up. Um, and I love the fact that they go to Switzerland. I put that in quotes. But they go, they go to the same sort of Switzerland that one of my favorite short-lived TV shows, Search, would go to like every four episodes. And Doug McClure was in that. Oh my God, Doug McClure's in this. 
So yes. So so did I love this? I don't know that I loved it. Did I have a good time? You you bet I did. You bet I did. I had a real good time watching it. I think I think it's super fun. And there's a lot more to talk about. Would you like to do you have pick something, Chris, and pick something that you loved about it, or maybe something you hated about it, and just throw it out there and we'll we'll discuss. Oh, um, can we talk about Stephen Keats? Because yes. he was fabulous yes. in this episode. Yes. He he was he could be most slightly malevolent, but then he was also rather humorous, especially when he turns over to ours to the good guy's side, I should say. And he's like, "You're gonna regret this. Don't make him angry." He's he's like following Walter around like he's yes. the Hulk, and yes. he will Hulk out at any moment. Yes, because yes. he's seen what Auto Man can do. It's absolutely fantastic. He was brilliant, just absolutely yes. brilliant. In the episode, yeah, and he's um, I, I, I uh, and, and that that moment at the uh, at the, and I mean, I, I don't think we're spoiling anything to say that um, Walt and Auto Man saved the day. Hello, you know, if they had saved the day, this would be the end of the show, I guess. But <laughs> but at the very end, when sort of um, Walt is able to call up Auto Man right when it looks like all is lost, there's just this great moment where um. Uh, like Auto Man suddenly appears and he brings on tanks and planes and all sorts of crazy stuff and he's kicking kicking butt and and where we're, Steve Keats just turns to Walt and is is I forget his character's name but he turns to Walt and says something like Oh man you are the best or you got or he just says something which is just like you wow <laughs> it's just, it's so cool it's so it's such a nice moment and it's it's almost like he's he's almost um. Every once in a while, you'll get someone like a Glenn A. Larson who's like, you're a little t- maybe too good for a Glenn A. Larson. I hate to say that, but you're almost maybe too good for a Glenn A. Larson. <laughs> and there are little moments here or there, you know. It would have been like if Sir Alec Guinness had showed up or Sir Ralph Richardson or something. You know, if, if Judy Dench had showed up halfway through, you know, as, you know, Auto Man. You know, it would have been like that. Maybe you're a little too good for this, but lovable. Yeah, he's he's just fantastic. I do, and like he has some of the best reactions too. Because when they're chasing Auto Man in the car, yeah, and you know him and um, oh, it's Robert Hogan who places his partner there. Um, are they're chasing him, chasing Auto Man, and he's like, you can't make that turn, and because yes. he sees him turn, and just the look on his face, and he's like, yeah, you can't make that turn. And he's like, <laughs> oh sure, I can, and then he ends up crashing. Yes. And Stephen, the look on Stephen King's face is like, yeah, this is bad. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, they, they, um, and even though it's a comedy crash, they do it in slow mo. So like, even you know, this was just yes. the time we we did that. It's a comedy crash, but slow it down. Um, and one of my favorite bits throughout is that, um, and I, what what is, um. So I'm gonna I I should have written it down because I sound I'm gonna sound like a complete dope. But since Auto Man is a um, computerized construction and his car is the same, I mean he's it's Tron, folks, um, uh, uh, and and he can he can do you know you 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 played Tron the 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 cart game thing where you where you turn on a you know an, uh, the sharp sharp angle. And he could do that, but of course, Walt can't handle that. So every time he does one of those turns, Walt like slams into the wall the, of the side of the car or hits the roof or something like that. That always made me giggle when I saw that throughout the episode. I don't know why. Desi Arnaz Jr. is really just like Auto Man is so straight faced, and Desi Arnaz is just bouncing off the walls. He, he's, 
Ms. Ball would have been very proud, I think, to see that. <laughs> yes. Yes, I think she would have appreciated the comedy that he was able to inflict because he did. Desi Arnaz kind of really, Desi Arnaz Jr. really went in for the the physical comedy because at one point he he and uh, Automan can join together yes. and that protects Walter. And but Automan starts to lose power, so he tries to walk through a yes. wall and yes. Automan goes, but Walter doesn't, and he just yes. like full on runs into the wall and falls back. Falls backwards. Yeah. He he's not at all worried about you know saving face looking cool he yeah. he goes in for the physical comedy i got to appreciate that yeah yeah he does a, he does a really i i yeah i um i i, I it, it did take me a few i it always takes me a few minutes to stop looking at desi arnaz junior and thinking of his dad but once i do we're fine and that's just me though mm. um oh oh yeah you mentioned you mentioned computers that's that's one of the fun things this is that time period like this is the time, so this is 83, 10, um, I think this may have been a little too early. No, no, I was taking like basic computer classes at St. Margaret Mary's School. I was in fourth grade, third, whatever the hell I was in. And we basically, there was a very tiny room and there were these four large computers. And it was basically like it was, you were using basic you were using the basic program and it was one of those things i think i've said this before you know like you would do just the program where it was like what was it um oh i i don't even remember now what it was it was like line 10 boobs line 20 repeat or whatever it was you know and then you'd hit you'd hit enter and then it would just go boobs 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 all the way down the screen i forget go to go to 10 it was yeah line 20 was go to 10 uh you know what folks i haven't used those computers in a while and it was funny because I remember, like, taking a year or two of, well, this, I was in fourth or fifth grade of classes using those computers, which would look like, I mean, to anyone nowadays, yeah, using their phone or their laptops, these would be like, you'd be like just looking at a, a pile of bricks. You know, it's just like they, they did nothing terribly useful. And my, my uncle Raj um, worked for Xerox, and he had... Um, a very early home computer and I've said this before and I, all I remember the home computer doing was he could do like financial stuff on it basically a calculator and he had a hangman game which we really liked so and I would say but I can do hangman on my pad right here and he'd say no no damn this is the future the future of hangman <laughs> I was like well let's go for it let's go for it and so, so the, that, that's one of the things I love is we're in that time period where no one knows what computers might be able to do. And so there's like a great moment where the guy, um, is it Curtis, the, uh, the, the, um, the Maverick cop, um, goes into, yeah, yeah, it, into Walter's computer office and, um, uh, hands him like just a pile of random bits of paper like he you know just like he was on the bus and he pulled out every piece of paper that he found on the floor or something it just kind of throws them at walter and he's like figure out what the connection is here using your computers and walter's like okay i can do that and i thought i don't i don't would you be able to do that now just like if some old guy throws a bunch of random papers at you i guess you would but i mean i guess he's he's co co correlating names and things like that but there's something where it's like it's like Walter knows the way computers work on this show, which isn't the way computers actually work. 
and there's a guy coming in demanding that he use computers in a way that computers aren't actually used in and he's demanding this from a guy who's using computers in a way that computers aren't actually used if that made any sense so that's one of the joys of this show is just like oh my gosh i got the mo- i have to just click one button and i got the modem and i the phone modem and now i interface with all the other computers wait a minute computers can talk to one another are you nuts come on i thought 2001 <laughs> was crazy this is nuts I love I love computer stuff. I, I always point to and I'll, I'll let you. T- I'm sorry. I I went off on a little computer tangent, but I think I think if if you want to find my one of my all time favorite, my two two fun places for computers are, are in two mid '80s European horror films made in America: Edge of the Axe and um, Nightmare Weekend. I recommend them highly. Nightmare Weekend has a computer that sort of. Um, where the the leading gal in the movie, her sort of interface with the computer is not this hunky guy named Auto Man, but a little green hand puppet named George. I would like you to Google Nightmare Weekend George and look that up. But um, but that's computers. What what do you think about computers? Have you ever used one? <laughs> you know, as it turns out, I Tell have used more. a computer because my grandfather was a self taught computer programmer and he started back in the day he was president of the computer club in a town where he lived and so we had a computer it was hand-me-down uh commodore 64 we probably got that back in 1985-86 and it had a black and white little black and white tv for the monitor and it was a floppy disk drive and we had the best cache of games that you could play oh. on a Commodore 64 with wow. these old ass joysticks. Mm-hmm. So we were playing like summer games, winter games, uh, Motor Mania. We had the Commodore 64 version of um, Super Mario Brothers. Oh, wow. I mean, you name it, we had it. Family Feud, Jeopardy, you could play anything on there. <laughs> we loved it. And he wrote his own games for us. He would wow. He made a lottery game for us to play. Mm-hmm. And he wrote it. So seeing this sort of stuff that we see in Auto Man is absolutely hilarious to me because I grew <laughs> up with what computers could actually yes. do. But then, you know, then you hear stuff like, you know, well, the modem, he's talking about getting the modem. And I'm like, that must have sounded so wild in 1983 because here we are in, in 2020 and you get mad at your modem and... <laughs> Yes. You, I don't even think we use. I don't know. Do we even use modems anymore? I don't know. Because we have Maybe. Wi-Fi now. But there was that yes. that point when we all had dial-up. Mm-hmm. Yes. And your modem wouldn't yes. work. So, you know, it's kind of wild to see. Just you know, this was like high tech mm-hmm. stuff back in 1983, and and now it's just like dinosaurs. That's a triceratops yes. right there. Yes. That's what that yes. is. Even, even, yeah, even like Manimal looks like a more high tech and forward thinking show than Auto Man now, just because of the technology. Uh, but because c- we all have the Manimal within us, whereas Auto Man, I don't know. Yes. Maybe I guess I don't know. Uh, the uh, well, actually, I, the way it works is that you get into Auto Man. Yes, that's right. And I can, can I can I just say with Auto Man? So not only obviously is obviously is a Tron. 
with the way he looks, that shiny effect in his car, zooming through the traffic. Um, but to me, it was also, I, I didn't realize, uh, when they sort of merge, it reminded me of the superhero Firestorm. I'm not sure if you know Firestorm. His head's yes. on fire? Oh, Vaguely. Yes. He he was he's on the he I well I've only seen the first series of the TV show Flash, uh, which is well the short lived one from way back in the day and the one that's on right now uh, both are great the first seasons both are great but he, Firestorm is on the current or he was on the current Flash he shows up and the thing about Firestorm is that Firestorm is I forget the origin but is basically two people. And two people, this professor in a wheelchair and this high school student, kind of um, enter my dimension. Eh, that sounds a little creepy. But um, they kind of whoosh, together energy-wise, and they become this superhero with the flaming head who flies around and, and can tr transmogrify, is that right, matter, and do all sorts of crazy stuff. And that's, that's what I thought of in the moments when they're, in, they're sharing the same space. And they're sort of using the same voice because that's kind of what Firestorm does, but not quite. And um, that's not, uh, you know, and, and this was when I think 83 was when Firestorm's comic in the 80s was probably at its height, I think. So, you know, this would have been not unlike Lenny Larson to not only nab something from here, but maybe take a little something from there. That's the that's the Larson experience. Yeah. Or as what uh, as um, James Garner used to call him, what uh um, Glenn A. Larceny. So you know, hey, it happens. I'm kidding, but um, uh, so so I'm I'm gonna look I'm gonna look at my notes because there's a lot to talk about here. Doug, I, I got a plane here. There's Doug McClure. I don't even remember what Doug McClure does in this episode, but he's in it. That's enough for me. Well, my note my note about Doug McClure is Doug McClure. No, because he ends up being kind of on the bad team. He's on the yeah. bad. He's one of the bad guys. Yeah, he. Oh, I'm sorry. It says no. How could you? <laughs> that was my note. <laughs> yeah, he 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 looks like he might be. I mean, I think I think. I mean, I'm a huge. Uh, you 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 guys know me. I love Search. It's one of my favorite shows. The Virginian. Oh, and James Drury. Uh, the Virginian passed just recently. Oh, which is just yeah, too bad. That's a um, shame. Yeah, he was he was great. Um, and that that show was fantastic, and and uh, and um, uh, Doug McClure was one of the two people with the Virginian on the entire nine seasons, and um, he's great in it. And I always um, I always like watching. But in this one, the the older Doug McClure got, the more I became suspicious of every character he played. So I'm a bit suspicious immediately of him in this. Uh, yeah, and and with good reason too, because he always he's. He's kind of on the captain's side about being, you know, yeah, we don't need that guy, whatever. And that computer guy. Talking about Walter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and downplaying these kidnappings and stuff like that. And he's, you just, you can't help but side item. You know he's up to something, but you yes. don't know what. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I've got it playing right here where he pulls the gun on Walter. Oh, Doug McClure, no. Yes. No, don't do that. How he's got the you? gun. And it's fun because he's doing the thing that um, Steve Keats's character does later on, but uh, with the gun in the pocket, you know, like, hey, I. And, but it's funny because Doug McClure's doing, I have a gun in my pocket, but it's not supposed to look like a gun, but it obviously looks like a gun. Whereas Steve Keats is supposed to be doing, I don't have a gun, but I'm supposed to be looking like I have a gun. So yeah. it's, it's sort of different. Um, Glenn A. Larson was probably very specific in his script about the way that should be done. 
that's that's Glenn. Uh, yeah, he, he he has that attention to detail. <laughs> yes. Um, so um, wh- wh- I, I will say one of the things that that an- annoyed me about the episode, and maybe this is just a pilot thing, because to be honest, I haven't gone beyond this at the moment, is the um, is just the way like um, and I've forgotten her name. She's the blonde. Um, she's you know. Oh, she's... um, Roxanne. Roxanne, yes. Roxanne, not only Roxanne, but just sort of the way Roxanne and the chief sort of always, the, the way they talk to Walter. Like the chief is always yelling at Walter and denigrating him, which I, is, that's, you know, that's what you expect from a chief. You know, that, but that's what you expect from a chief, like yelling at someone who will kind of either, will kind of give it back to them. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, um, like McLeod, you know, and McLeod's going to come in and he's going to do his thing, you know, and save the day, you know, and, 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 you know, other, other sort of, um, well, Columbo never had that, but you, but you know, you know what I mean? Like sort of other, um, uh, cops who have like the, well, even like, even like to go silly, like sledgehammer, you know, and captain trunk, he spends his hammer and he's always yelling at sledgehammer and it's, it's goofy and it's, it's, but, but here when, when is a Boyd, um, when the chief yells at, um, Walter, yeah. when the chief yells at Walter, it's, it's because Walter is so like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. It becomes, I don't want to say abusive. That's not quite the right word, but it becomes almost unpleasant especially like near the end where he's like, I've always wanted to shut you down. And like the last sequence where you know that Walter has saved the day with the help of Auto Man. And he's like, you should be able to do something, Walter, with all this stuff in here. Da, da, da. And it's like, ooh, calm down. And then you get Roxanne, who is the ultimate and sort of condescension, I think. Um, this might change because pilots, usually we change when the episodes proper begin. But uh, there's just something about Roxanne where she's like, oh, Walter, if you didn't spend so much time on your machines here, just in your own little world, maybe you could be a great cop. And there he is flying in an imaginary plane to the Swiss Alps and saving dozens of lives. And it's sort of like, uh, and I get what you're, I get what you're doing, Glenn, but um, I think he overdoes it because every time one of those two characters shows up, I, I, I wince. And it's like, ooh, okay. yeah. I, I just, I just want to stick with um, Walter, Auto Man, and Steve Keats, and the bad guys and stuff like that. These other characters kind of bother. I didn't mind uh, Curtis that much, but the other ones were. Did, what, what did you think? Were they a little too much for you, or is it just me overdoing it? Well, first of all, Boyd should uh, have a lot of experience yelling because do you know who he is? It's. Gerald in my, S. In my, in my heart. Oh. <laughs> Gerald S. O'Loughlin, we saw him yelling in the box um, that we discussed yes. for Book of Dano, the Hawaii yes. Five-O episode. Of course. Of course. He played course. Swanson. He was he, yes. he was the yeller. And he we also saw him prior to that. This is his second appearance on eventually Super Train because he was in, in an episode of The Green Hornet as well. Of course he was. So he follows us around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he he, but, he should he should trust the people he's put in their jobs is what just what I'm saying. Yes, yes. So, but I I get what you're saying about Boyd, especially Boyd, because 
it was like, okay, he's supposed to be Walter's boss. He's obviously going to be the in-house uh, antagonist to a certain extent because he doesn't he doesn't like computers, doesn't believe they're useful, blah, 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 blah. But it's like they were chucking anvils to get that point across, you know, just slamming exactly. it on your head because it's like, we get it. He doesn't like him. That's <laughs> fine. Someone needs to file a report with HR. This is just crossing <laughs> yes. lines here, especially at the end when he's like, you know, well, some people actually pull their weight and it's like, uh, excuse please, sir. You just stood around and yelled. You hardly did anything at all. What are you? You have no ground to stand on. Exactly. exactly. And yeah, with with Ro- Roxanne, she's just yeah. I can. That's. I couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was about her that was kind of grating on me. Mm. But I think you hit the nail on the head with calling her condescending. Plus, she was cold. She she comes downstairs looking for Walter because he's been looking for Jack Curtis. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Jack's gone. Something terrible happened to him, and we're never going to see him again. And it's just like, damn, that's pretty brutal. But you're just like, well, we found his blood in his car and his gun, and now he's gone. Well, that's a shame. Let's go have some coffee and a sandwich. (laughs) And I'm never fully – I never fully understood what Roxanne – she is a cop, right? Um because she just looks like someone she who says like she is. She says she because at that moment with Sid Haig in the in the diner, um, where the, oh, the, the like the bikers are bugging them and and she's like, Well, you know, don't make any fuss or whatever and Walter's like, Wait, we're cops. The, that's not gonna matter to them. It might. You're in a di- you're not in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> you're in a diner in the middle of LA with a bunch of other people. <laughs> you know, it's you don't need a gigantic yeah. neon man to come in and save the day. You could just hold up your badge and say, guys, park it. We're cops. And they would probably say, oh, okay, got it, and sit down, knowing that you had probably a gun on you or something like that. I don't know, but, but it's just a weird It's a weird moment where it almost seemed like Glenn A. Larson forgot that they were cops. And maybe like in the original script, threatened by bikers, and someone was like, hey, Glenn, um, they're cops. Oh yeah, rewrite. You know, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, because I'm like, is she a secretary cop? Because that's kind of like what they have her doing. Because the captain's like, you know, call my wife and say I'll be home eventually, and she's doing paperwork. She's got requisition forms and stuff like that. So, is is there a secretary division of the police that I'm not aware of? Because I live in a small town. You 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 live in L.A. Yes. Do they have the secretary corps? What is this? <laughs> I'm trying to think because they do show the the is it Tom H. Parker, the Parker, um, the guy who at in Dragnet when it, Dragnet in the 50s it would always be they'd always discuss talk about um, Police Chief Parker, who who was like a, a an official advisor I believe to Dragnet, and he he his he 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 his name is what the 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 station is named after. So um um I I don't think so. I mean. I would, I don't, maybe like the, I, I feel like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that Columbo episode, what is it, A Friend Indeed, with the police chief in it, or the commissioner, where Columbo, where the commissioner, like, kills his neighbor's wife, and then his neighbor kills the commissioner's wife, kind of strangers on a train kind of thing, and, um, and I, I want to say he has a secretary, but, 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 but there's something just, just about, like, 
it's so weird because everyone else is like, yeah, I'm the tough cop who doesn't follow the rules. I'm Doug McClure. I don't know what he's doing, but he's something or other. I'm the chief. I'm the I'm the computer guy, and I'm the cute blonde who's not as cute as as um. Which one of the Heather's is on the wall? Heather Thomas is on the poster. I'm forgetting my Heather's. I think so. Yes. I'm, yeah, I think I'm that's just, Heather Thomas. Yes, because there there's a moment if you watch the credits where Cursor. Um, the sort of um, uh, uh, the 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 when when Auto Man goes out, Cursor is the thing that sort of shoots ahead and kind of takes the um, scouts the area sort of and really likes a poster of I, th- I believe Heather Thomas in a in a bikini. Hey, what's not to love? And um, but 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 there is something about like you you introduce your main female character and you don't say like you know. Again, like Sledgehammer, she's not like Dory Doro, where she's Doro's like this tough detective. You know, it's like she just kind of walks in and goes, Walter, what are you doing at this computer? Oh, you are in another world. (laughs) You'd be a great cop if you just stopped doing this. And then she walks out and is like, who was that? Was she even real? Was that another hologram? Was that, who was that? Did your mom send her? What is that like a like a like a like a, a, a like a guiltogram or something that your mom sends to just make you feel crappy or something? I don't know because whatever she she just keeps showing up at these points. Was like, Walter, why have you been here for three days doing police work? If she doesn't say that, Walter, why have you been here for three days looking into Curtis's disappearance? You know, and every time she shows up, she just gives a little bit of guilt. And, and But there is that, I, w- I will give Desi Arnaz Jr. points for trying to deliver a line that I don't think Helen Mirren or, or Sir Lawrence Olivier or Jack Nicholson could have delivered. But that's where, where um, there's like, he's in the foreground, she's in the background saying something like, you know, if you just leave these computers, she says something like this, if you just leave these computers alone, you know, you, you'd be a great cop or something like that. And he's in the foreground, he kind of looks almost at the camera and says, Something like, is that why you won't go out with me? God bless you, Mr. Arnaz Jr. You almost sell the line. It's a horrible line. That, and it's, that was so, so bad, so awkward, so bad. It's cringeworthy yes. every time I watch it. Yes. And he he almost the, – the problem is with that line is, um, uh, uh, you know uh, – a miss is as good as a mile. What is it? Uh, horseshoes, hand grenades. You know, you either have to, you either have to take this bad line and sell it in a way, or you just have to say it and hope people watching will either be, I, I, we'd be looking at our phones now, but people, people then might have been like reaching into a bag of popcorn or looking at the TV guide and like, what did he say? Oh, he asked her out at one point and she said no. Oh, thank you, mother. Mm, yes, and you keep watching or something like that, but you just. <laughs> He doesn't. Um, he does. He does his best. He really does his best. I think Desi Arnaz Jr. is a lot of fun in this. A uh, little, maybe too nebbishy at times, but you got to start from the ground up. Yeah, and but he does rock a sweater vest under yes, his suit does. jacket he does. in the early early part of the episode. That's how you know he's changed. When <laughs> once there, once he goes to to Switzerland, he's not wearing that sweater vest anymore. He's mm-hmm. manned up. I guess. Yes. I don't know. Maybe that's why the captain won't respect him because he keeps wearing that <laughs> sweater vest. Because that's all I could think too is like you're wearing a. It's first of all, it's L.A. Now mm-hmm. I know it doesn't get too chilly there. I mean, it can get a little bit cold for you guys, but uh-huh. I mean, it's not you know where I live where it's gonna snow again next week. 
spring yeah, in exactly. the cornfields fun. Yeah, <laughs> but he's wearing a so he's wearing a, a dress shirt, a tie, a sweater vest, and a suit jacket. And I'm like, aren't you warm? Mm. <laughs> How cold is that room yeah. that you have to work in? Because yeah. I would think that would be excessive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, yeah. I guess I guess that's sort of like that's um uh, that that's uh, saying 1983 sort of geek or nerd. Is what that is, but not putting glasses on him. But he would have looked fine in glasses. He would still looked handsome if they had put glasses on well, him. So I, I don't think that he, would have been an issue. He only wore glasses when he was actually working at the computer. Yes, because he did have glasses on a couple of times. But so it was like we have to put him in a sweater vest because he's not going to be wearing glasses full time, mm-hmm. and we need to telegraph the fact that he's kind of a nerd. Yes, exactly. Yep, yep. And then, and then, that's. So that's why you won't go out with me. Or, or, you know, that line. I don't know. I'm going to come back to that line. Um, <laughs> you know, and can can I say, if you want to see the, I think, the most absolute moment when Desi Arnaz Jr. looks like his dad, when he and Steve Keats go to the gate of the compound, um, about, let me look, about 57 minutes in, and um, Steve Keats is pretending with, he's got the gun in his pocket, and... Um, he's kind of in the center of the screen, and Desiernez Jr. is off to the left, slightly in darkness with his hands up. At that moment, when he's kind of slightly in darkness, just staring straight ahead, he looks like he's going to break into Babalu. I don't know what he's going to do, but he looks so <laughs> like his dad that it's awesome. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. So, I usually, so much don't, I usually don't see things like that. I usually don't see resemblances like that. Mm-hmm. But watching this episode, yeah, there were definitely moments where he looked a lot like his dad, and it was quite striking. Yes, bless his heart. And and and, and if you if you don't know who he, if if you don't know that this this was who he is, you would probably sit there the whole time going, "Who does he look like?" Huh. Hmm. And you'd throw out a hundred names, and then when someone told you what his name was, you'd feel like a dum dum. But that's okay. That happens. That happens to the best of us. So I um now I'd like to. Uh, so so I think what we should do is let's just talk about uh, Automan himself for a few minutes, and then let's talk about the the goofball plot that's going on in this episode, and then we can uh, and then okay. I think I, th- I think we can begin to uh, wind it down. I I knew we'd talk a little long, folks. Um, on this, it's a ninety minute episode. It's it's the first one. They always go a little long. Um, but um, it's because the sort of the world isn't set yet, and there's no formula yet. So by the time we get to like episode eight, and maybe something, we're like, oh, okay, he, you know, the she she was condescending to him again. Oh, the chief yelled at him again. Oh, they got in a car chase. We might run out of things to say then, but now we got a lot to say, so we got to say it. Um, so let's. Uh, what what are your thoughts? Tell me what you think of Auto Man himself. I love Auto Man himself. First of all, he's not really himself because when um, Walter's telling Roxanne that he made this this uh, Auto Man, and it started off as a game, but now it's a crime fighter, and he's going through this book showing the pictures that he used, yes. and it was so he based him off of I wrote them all down: Tom Selleck, Paul Newman, Lee Majors, Richard yes. Burton, Burt Reynolds. And Christopher Reeve, yeah. and that's what he's physically, I think, supposed to be made off, uh, made from. And then he's supposed to be—he's giving him all the wisdom of James Bond and Sherlock Holmes, is mm-hmm. what he says. Yes. And 
I have to admit, Chuck Wagner is magnificent. He's a very handsome man. He plays Auto Man. And he does, and I think that it's very easy to say, well, he didn't, he's not a very good actor, but I think he plays Auto Man beautifully. I don't think anybody could have just you know, stuck anybody, any pretty man in that role and they would have been done it, would have been able to do it. He's magnificent at it. And he also, because when Walter and Auto Man join, you're stuck with just the visual of Auto Man. And you get, obviously, um, Walter's voice added in post-production. And so Chuck Wagner has to be both Auto Man and uh, Walter. And I think he does a really fabulous job of that. Yes. Agreed. He just, he nails it. He nails the character of Walter as well as the character of Ottoman. I just, I adore him. I think he's fab. He did, he actually did a cameo in the Hulogram video that I watched. So he's such a sport <laughs> and cool. still a handsome That's man. Cool. Yes, yes. I think, I think he's, he's a great, Ottoman's a great uh, superhero. Super, super fun to watch. And just, just those moments were like the, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, car turns into the plane or when he creates the tank or just the way he's got that great hero thing where you know well because glenn a larson does that thing where you know he can't be there all the time because he uses a lot of power so mainly he's kind of there at night when people aren't using as much power and um and so that means he can't be there all the time but he shows up uh, uh when he can and when he shows up it's just like it's so much fun and when he's in the car and he's taking these turns real sharp and just he, he's got that great sort of, you know, he's he's almost like like an alien who's arrived on Earth and is but already but he, he would be an alien who arrived on Earth who like had absorbed, you know, to, um, you know, to reference the Doctor Who episode so long ago, Dalek, where the Dalek absorbs the Internet and suddenly knows everything. Uh, that would be like Auto Man. He sort of would be like an alien who shows up and he knows everything. He's got James Bond, Sherlock Holmes. He's got all these other things. He's got all these other references, and and he's also driving in a Tron car that become that becomes a Tron plane, and he can, he can bring Desi Arnaz Jr. into his dimension, and he's he's just so much fun. And the the good thing about the episode is that. Um, the the pacing is generally pretty good. I mean, it's it's Glenn A. Larson pacing, so here and there it gets a little slack. But um, Desi Arnaz Jr. is able to carry it, especially with Steve Keats, when uh, Auto Man isn't there. But when Auto Man is there, it's like when you were when I was a kid. I, I don't vouch for anyone else, but like, and you're watching The Incredible Hulk. Bill Bixby was fantastic, but the moment Lou Ferrigno showed up and started jumping around in slow mo, smashing stuff, the best the best now hopefully what you hope for hopefully is a show that has a character that can be on almost all the time that you want to watch this is this is this is almost that because because i do like walter but when walter and auto man are together that's a fun team they're they're a fun team because it's great because auto man is clearly the superhero more or less um but walter isn't the sidekick he's the creator and he he becomes a part of it as and Auto Man you you feel like yeah Auto Man is programmed to protect Walter so he'll do whatever he have to do has to do there and yeah I th I think I think he's very good uh, Mr Wagner uh, is very good as yes. Auto Man I th I think he he kind of nails it kind of the um I know a lot more than you do but I don't I'm not real so I don't talk like you do. 
and so I'm a little bit weird, but boy, check out the shit I can do, pardon my French. And so, yeah, I, I like Automan quite a bit. Yeah, he's great. He's he's so suave, so smooth, and yes. just so nonplussed. He just shows up, and yes. he's like, yes, we'll take care of this. We'll just fly to Switzerland in my yes. uh, plane that Cursor made for us, because we should mention that Cursor is the little, it looks like a little lightning bug yeah, that... Yeah. He he draws everything, and then that's what brings it into reality. And he's kind of a pervert because he he yes. looks at pictures of the of the on the poster, and then the picture on the desk, and then he follows a woman down the hallway. And you're yeah. like, holy hell! Get back here, perv! Let's go! Come on, we got business to attend to. <laughs> this is a little much, is, bud. Is is that is that <laughs> since it was all programmed by Walter? Do you think that's some of Walter in there? Just like maybe. Like some That's latent. his wishful thinking. Yes, yeah, that he can fly and go woo right by the right by the yeah. ladies. Um, uh, <laughs> I I for, I was gonna say something and I just blanked on it. It was gonna be great. Um, what 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 else do you have? Well, I'm trying to figure out what I I was just gonna say. Okay, I do want to mention that in because when they go to the diner. There are other people there, and the biker gang starts harassing them. The biker gang includes Sid Haig and Mickey Jones. And honestly, you have to ask yourself, if Sid Haig and or Mickey Jones is not in your biker gang, do you actually have a biker gang? (laughs) Because they seem to be requirements. Yes, yes. Particularly in the 80s. Yeah. (laughs) And I love them both. Yeah. So much. It was great. I I didn't expect to see them. And they were great. They no, no, and they were they were a great addition in that scene just to have them harassed. So it gave Autumn an excuse to show up and kind of save save everybody's skin uh, because Sid Haig broke a bottle. Things were about to get serious, yes. and then Automan shows up and they're like, and the great part about Automan showing up is like because he doesn't walk through the door, he just appears, mm-hmm. and everybody is kind of like. Oh my God! What's in this food? We've all been drugged. <laughs> Everybody's got yes. a hit of LSD happening, yes, and yes. the only person who is not uptight about this is Walter. And he's like, "Oh hey, you know, oh we gotta go. Sorry, Roxanne, we gotta go." And Roxanne's sitting there like her brain has been totally fried mm-hmm. by this appearance. And Walter's like, "Well, I gotta go. See you later," and just takes off with Auto Man and like leaves everybody in the. The diner just kind of staring like nobody whenever auto man shows up no one is concerned about witnesses or anything like yes, that yes like this is supposed to be because at the end he tells um oh the lady, the lady there, yeah. oh what's yes. her name i can't think of it tanya uh yes. tells her that you know i can't tell you it's a secret and it's like how is this a secret there's like <laughs> 20 people in a diner in la who have who's seen yes. this there's a whole biker yeah. gang that knows yeah. How is this secret? <laughs> it's not secret. No, no, it's not secret. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what the next episode <laughs> holds in store for us. I, I like the um, <laughs> the the uh, and um, uh, I'll say this, and then I just want to mention briefly the the sort of um, the 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 what's happening in the episode. But I love the little twist in the end where we we know that um, it's it's a race to the airfield, and the bad guys are going to get to their plane. And Autumn and Walter have to get there first to catch them. 
And I, I don't, um, I don't know that this is a spoiler, but there's just a lovely, clever moment where they're they're flying. In, you know, the Automan's car becomes a plane. They're flying in the airfield. And they're figuring out how we're we going to stop them. Where Walter more or less says, "Wait a minute, Cursor can become anything. Yes, then can he become?" their plane and it's like this wonderful moment where the bad guys get on the pl- their plane take off and it's like oh it's cold in here what's going on let me let me call up to the flight deck hmm, they're not answering what's going on and then patrick mcnee lets out such a scream which is fantastic <laughs> and when he finds out what's going on it's it's really a nice it's a nice uh, clever little little gotcha in the end that i like yeah i gotcha so 30,000 let- feet <laughs> yes. So let me um uh let me um I I just want to discuss very briefly and then and then we can do do final thoughts. Um unless you have more thought because I mean there's a lot going on in this episode folks. We've just kind of bounced off the top of it. But um so the the plot line of this and I I mentioned this in the um and there's an interesting thing where um when the it's actually explained what's happening at this Swiss Alps resort-ish thing. It's it's Curtis and Tanya talking about it, not Walter. So Walter must have it explained to him what's going on in another time, or he just doesn't care. Um, because he doesn't get the full... Because the, the explanation is, as, as I'll, I'll just say very briefly, yeah, it's 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 if, if big corporations have like a scientist or engineer or someone who becomes indispensable, they hire this place, what is it, global... Why am I Global Guard? Global Guard. Uh, They hire Global Guard, and Global Guard's job is if the this engineer, scientist, or whoever gets is wants to leave the company, these guys kidnap this employee, take them to Switzerland, and make them work from Switzerland. And um, it's one of those it's one of those ideas that seems like. Only Glenn A. Larson. He thought he was still writing Buck Rogers or something at this point. I don't know, but it's just like such a goofball idea when you think about it. So, so like, because the opening scene is a guy, his wife, and two kids, and it's like he's going for an interview for a job. Suddenly, he gets kidnapped and wind up winds up in Switzerland, where he's going to spend the rest of his life. What? Is it? I don't. I don't. Surely. Someone and they say something like, "Well, twelve or thirteen people have gone missing." It looks like a lot more than that. Well, I guess maybe it's from around the world, but it's such a weird concept because it's like, "Well, well we're in. They're in the middle of nowhere." Yeah, but still, it's it's such a weird concept. Well, it, it's kind of interesting though because when because they don't tell you what the heck's going on with all these missing people, why these people are being taken until damn near the end of the episode. Yeah, like, yeah. And so you're left wondering, because they think it might be terrorists, but they're kidnapping scientists and engineers, so it definitely looks like they're collecting people to maybe, like, create some big world-altering bomb or something like that. And I was like, in my notes, it actually says, so Patrick McNee is, is... collecting all of these people because he wants an everlasting conference because that's what it looks like when you get there is the Swiss Alps it looks they're all walking around and everybody's wearing name badges and everything and it's like it looks like a work conference somewhere and he's just fulfilling a dream to have a never-ending conference lots of but it turns out a lot of wood paneling yeah it's (laughs) yes yes 
But it turns out that what it is is that if these people think that they're going to leave, their companies are like, no, pay Global Guard to kidnap them and make them work for free. I'm like, so it's a capitalistic plot for slavery. That's what this is. Yes. That is yeah. a swerve I did not anticipate. That was, I did not yeah. anticipate that swerve. <laughs> Yes, when that when that actually comes up, it's like, wait, what? What? You know, it's like it's it would be like you know, like um, you know, uh, Jane uh, fries the best French fries during the lunch shift at this McDonald's. We heard she's going to Burger King. <laughs> Hire Global Guard, and then suddenly she winds up at the space in Switzerland, and she's making you got to make fries for us here in Switzerland. You know, it's like it's like when they say, we, when we say make them work for free, it isn't like they're. They're, they they are they're they're not allowed to leave. It's a compound, but they have lovely ladies, which I guess implies that everyone there is attracted to lovely ladies. I, I didn't really see any good-looking guys kind of going around, um, apart from Chuck Wagner, of course. Um, but uh, yeah. but it, it's it's sort of um, it's 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 um, it's almost a variation. But my first thought was um, that it might be like the movie This Island Earth. Where um, the aliens in that kidnap <laughs> Earth scientists and like bring them to that house in the middle of nowhere, and it's like yes, we're we're you know, and the professor from Gilligan's Island is there, you know, it's like yes, we're working on this stuff with these gentlemen with the huge foreheads. I almost thought maybe it'd be like an alien thing, <laughs> but it actually, it actually literally is like Patrick McNee is just like you know. Like, you know, it's like, well, like Xerox, you know, Xerox, this, this, um, engineer was leaving. So we had him kidnapped, sent to Switzerland. Now he works for us for free doing his job. And it's a weird, I, I, in some ways it's kind of a wonderfully kind of strange, not quite subversive, but a strange concept that the major corporations in America would do this with their employees at another, at another, another time, another uh, angle. It's just kind of weird. And um, that's Glenn A. Larson for you, I guess. I guess. Just taking that <laughs> left turn right there. That hard 90-degree yeah. left turn. Yeah. He, he does it. He takes that turn, throws you up against the passenger side window, just like poor Walter. We all felt yeah. it when we got to that and twist. It, it, and it's, it's, it's weird because it's, it's such a weird thing. But I would imagine if I was a kid watching this at like age 10, I would have been ignoring all of that. And one, watching the ladies in bikinis by the pool. And two, thinking, where's Auto Man? When's Auto Man coming back? But he, he, he gives it this weird ass plot that just, I'm going to stop going over it right now. But it's just, think about it, folks. Isn't it weird? Isn't it weird? I mean, have you quite heard of anything like that? I mean... You probably have, but, but it's just, it's just a weird, it's weird. It's weird. So, so, um, so Kristen, what, what else do you have on this one? I'm going to give my notes a scan. Um, oh, the one thing I wanted to mention as well, aside from the fact that auto man could be nice enough to get Walter some seatbelts in his car mm, and yeah. his plane would be that, um, when they do capture Walter and Stephen Keats, which I can't think of his character's name, but they cap they do capture them and they interrogate Walter. They give him a truth serum. And so he tells them everything about auto man. And they're like, what is this? How he, yes. I thought you gave him truth drugs. We did. Well, why is he talking about this? It must be so ingrained in him. So he tells them the absolute truth. Mm. And it's so unbelievable that they, they think he's some like genius infiltrator spy who's been programmed yeah. You know, mm -hmm. to not reveal the actual his act the actual truth because of this, and it's like that was just such a brilliant move. Yes, 
yeah. I mean, again, you don't expect it's something you didn't expect. You don't because mm-hmm. if they're not going to buy it, and he's telling the absolute <laughs> truth, it's perfect. Yes. I love it. <laughs> I I think a moment I I love is when um. Well, I, I I liked it quite a bit. Was the moment where um they're driving the first time they're driving and Walter mentions Donkey Kong and Pac Man, and because Auto Man began sort of as a game, he knows Donkey Kong and Pac Man and just sort of casually like name dropper kind of throws their names out there. <laughs> yes, oh I know Pac Man. Mm, he's very nice. Which is which is a great little moment. Yeah, because um, it ties in with the fact that he can communicate with other anything with a voice or anything any electronic thing that's controlled because he does it to the elevator and he does it to the traffic lights which are female who knew at least they had a female voice (laughs) yes um uh oh and i i just there's uh and and really quick and then we'll wrap it up folks i know i know we we talk for a lot on this and i I, I think it was fun. Um, it's it's the it's a ninety minute episode, folks, and it, like I said, it's the start. Um, but there is an episode. I'm, I'll, I'll I always mention Doctor Who at least two or three times on an episode of Adventure Super Train. But there's one called the uh, story called the Time Monster, season nine, I believe, nineteen seventy two. And in that, the Doctor fits Bessie, his yellow roadster, with like an inertia drive. And it's basically like he can drive as fast as Auto Man and take turns like Auto Man, but the inertia drive keeps him and Joe Grant from... He basically says, like, if I didn't have the inertia drive, when we stopped right now, we would have both flown through the windshield and broken our necks kind of thing. And so so whatever it is that the doctor fitted to Bessie, Auto Man needs to put in the car for Walter. Some inertia... Some, some, I don't know. I forget what... It, I, I, don't even think, I don't think it was called that, but I, I think it, it may have been. But but it was like... Uh, yeah. I, I, I'd love, though, 13 episodes of Walter just bouncing around and slamming up against the doors and the walls <laughs> of a car or plane. That's fun. All right. So so do you have anything else on this one? Any any uh, background or... Um, I just have a, well, I do have, I have so much stuff, but we're just going to go a little bit stuff because we've been going long. I just wanted to mention, to mention though, that the first guy that we see that they kidnap, that's Don Galloway. He was Ed Brown on Ironside. And so I was really kind of disappointed. That was one disappointed part for me in this whole episode was the fact that we didn't get to see Don Galloway more because I love him and he's adorable. And I think the episode could have found room for a little more Don Galloway. Yes. We all need that in our lives. Yeah. So, um, I think I did, I think that's all I'm gonna mention. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank, we've gone. Thank, we've talked a lot about this, but we've it's good. talked a lot about this. Yeah. Sorry. Oh. Sorry, folks. We're just it's that it's that kind of thing. The, the next ones won't be as lengthy, as far as I know. Uh, so, um, so that was Auto Man, uh, and. I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the series, seeing where it goes from here. I don't know that it'll go to that many places, but it may go to a few, and I'm excited. So thank you so much, Kristen, for joining me for this. And, uh, oh, I, I'm just looking at the opening credits of a later episode that I just happened to put up here, and there's a moment where Cursor, like, flies into a woman's cleavage. What is that about? Yes. He's a perv. Cursor. So we'll talk more about Cursor as we learn more about Cursor. But um, so, Kristen, where can we find you online? You can find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. There you will find the home of my podcast, Bookum Dano, Yay. an old Hawaii 5 podcast. 
Yay! Which Dan has been on, and mm-hmm. it's the reason why I do it is because of my first appearance on Eventually Super Train. So who knows what kind of a podcast yes. will come out of Auto Man? Auto Man. Um, the you can also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you can also uh, follow me on Twitter at Kiki Writes. Thank you so much. Um, uh, yeah, brand new old show, folks. Um, Auto Man, I'm excited. Like I said, this is not like um, even more, more so than Masquerade, but definitely less than Manimal. This is the uh, part of the. We're going to finish up this trifecta with uh, Desiree Nez Jr. And the, and the hunky Chuck Wagner. Although Desiree Nez Jr. certainly has his hunkiness to him. I don't don't want to denigrate. So that's true. Welcome, Auto Man of the Club. Hey, and Kristen's back. Yes. All right, everyone. So, uh, thank you, thank you all so much for listening. Ninety episodes. How huh? we we had our anniversary, fourth anniversary in the previous one, and this one, ninety episodes. Yes, I do know we're all very much sort of in the first half of the 80s right now. I apologize. Things happen that way sometimes. It's, uh, yeah, you know, it just happens. So um, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Um, I don't know. You can go on uh, to get in touch with us at, at eSuperTrain1 on Twitter, eventually SuperTrain on Facebook. You can email me at Danny, D-A-N-N-Y, Slacks, S-L-A-C-K-S, at Yahoo.com. Oh, I'm here, there, and everywhere. Eventually, supertrain.blogspot.com also. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Come back next time. We'll do some more um, Nero. We'll do the second and the first regular hour-long episode of Auto Man, and we will do the first of the Armed Forces Network episodes. Not that they were made for the Armed Forces. You know, yeah. Episodes of Shadow Chasers. Talk to you guys soon. Be good to yourself. Be safe. Listen to this. (laughs) 